We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Join Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Years ago when I was working on my book, I Would Die For You, Why Prince Became an Icon, there was one person I really wanted to find. The book was about Prince, and I was able to dig deep into his recording career and talk to all sorts of players and engineers and girlfriends. I even found a keyboardist from the early days of the revolution, a woman who was living in like a cornfield off the grid in North Dakota or something. I had his professional career covered, but I really needed to find someone who could speak to his teenage years, the time when he was forming. The key person I wanted to talk to was Andre Simone. Andre's mother, Bernadette Anderson, let Prince move into her home when he was 13, and she was the mother of six who was divorced and pursuing an advanced degree in social work. Prince spent his teenage years living in Bernadette's home, and he clearly loves her because the few times he mentions her in his music, he speaks of her with great affection and tenderness and love. Prince and Andre grew up together. They were the same age... They slept in the same house, and they played together in the bands Grand Central and Champagne. I mean, he was my best friend. While I was working on my book, I found Andre on Facebook and reached out to him. When he responded, my heart leapt. He said he knew who I was and would love to talk to me. Oh, my God. But nah, he couldn't because he had an understanding with Prince. And, you know, uh, okay, said maybe another time. The book came out and was very well received, but... I knew that the question of who Prince was as a teenager and what happened to him in those critical years, that was not sufficiently answered. Years later, after Prince passed away, I got to meet Andre at the Revolution's highly emotional reunion shows at First Avenue in Minneapolis. I got to know him, and he finally agreed to sit down with me and talk about those early days with Prince. He was a guy that lived in my mom's house that was really cool, really talented. We were in a band. Sometimes this conversation might be shocking. I can tell you he wore Converse's, so, you know. <laughs> but really what I mean by that is Prince was into myth-making. He was into building himself up to appear like something that was not exactly who he was. So in talking to Andre, some of those myths get knocked down. He knows how far Purple Rain is from the truth. We're here today to get to the truth. 
Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Couldn't resist. This is a conversation I've been hoping to bring to you for years, and finally it's here. It's like finding the last piece of the puzzle, and finally you can exhale. Prince fans, this one's for you. Today, Andre Simone on Touré Show. I'm Torre, and it's a special episode of Torre Show, one dedicated to Andre's memories of growing up with Prince, and with an interview that would explain more about the man we love so much. Andre Simone is a multi-instrumentalist who was in bands with Prince before he got signed, and toured with Prince on his first three albums, then went on to release three solo albums, and he also produced and wrote for Jody Watley, Pebbles, Tiffany, Adam Ant, and more. In 2017, he released his sixth studio album, 1969, and it was an album he really wanted Prince to hear. I just like to do stuff nobody else would do, you know? You know, and I know that there's one person, I always thought, there's one person that I know that can relate, and that's why with this album, you know, I mean, because it's rock and it's just, you know, kind of Hendrixy and kind of all over the map. But I, you know, whether everybody digs it or nobody digs it, I know I always knew that there was one person I could play it to that could connect, and he was that one person, and that's sad. Andre is a powerful musician in his own right, but when I met him in a hotel in downtown Brooklyn, we talked about Prince, and we set the record straight. How old were you when you met Prince? God, you know, it's a good question. I think, I guess if I do the math, I had to be maybe... 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah. And how old was he at that time? Same age. He, he got here a couple weeks. Well, he was born a couple weeks before me. So right. he got here on this planet a couple weeks before me. Okay. So, yeah. I kind of want to go in chronological order in terms of what you know about this biography. But even to get to there, I want to go back a little bit before that, um, I mean, can you tell us about John Nelson? What was he like, and what kind of music did he play? Prince's father. Yeah, he was he was an unbelievable musician, and you know, I think beyond that, he was an un- unbelievable, really, really cool person. You know, for somebody, you know, for somebody who was an aspiring musician, you know, and for a son as well, obviously, um, for somebody to be so insightful and to think, you know, to have the foresight to sort of give us heads up as musicians, you know, on, on the different things that you can run into, different, you know, complications and, you know, women and, you know, all that kind of things, you know, the, the, I guess the trappings and the pitfalls of being an actual musician, you know, for somebody to give you insight, but in, in the way that he gave us insight, because he was, he was always playing, and when he was talking, he was playing, you know, and he, I have cassettes of him, you know, because he would give us cassettes and say, listen to this, you know, and he'd give us a cassette of him playing, giving us a lecture about, you know, growing up and what we needed to do and how we needed to handle ourselves as young men. Is Prince, or was Prince like him as a musician? Absolutely, yeah, no, I mean, the apple did not fall far from the tree. I mean, that's, you, you, if, you, if you heard those two play, you completely understood where Prince got his, were the genes. I don't know if, if his dad showed him because I was never there for any of that. But, you know, Prince had a piano in his bedroom. You know, he had a little upright, you know, really nice piano in his bedroom. So his dad obviously, you know, said, you know, my son's talented or I don't know if he, you know, taught him or, you know, I, I wasn't around for all of that. 
All I know is he had a piano in his bedroom when I met him, and it was an unbelievable setup because, you know, I was the complete opposite. You know, my parents didn't really hook me up with any of that kind of stuff until they realized how serious I was about it. So when you met him, he was living with his father? No, he was living with his mother. Okay. 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 All right. All right. I want to unpack all this, but let's talk about um, Maddie uh, Shaw a little. Um, what was his princess mother? What was she like? You know, honestly, I really didn't know her that okay. well um, because she did not want him hanging around with me, and I, the few interactions that I had with her were not all that positive. Okay. Why did she not want? I mean, you were a little kid. Why would she <laughs> don't hang around that? I mean, like how? <laughs> well, well, you know, I don't want to talk too much about myself because <laughs> it ain't about me. But, um, but you know, I think, you know, I was from the projects. You know, my family came from a different side of the of reality, and uh, and so when we moved into that neighborhood, because that neighborhood was like a kind of an upper middle class black what, neighborhood. What, what would you? What was the name of the neighborhood? It was just, it was North Minneapolis, but, you know, but there was the projects, which was where, you know, people lived that, you know, were, like we were talking earlier, it's just, it's a different reality, you know, and it's a different mentality. And so, you know, but, you know, my mom worked hard, you know, and she was able to move her family out of that, out of those circumstances and moved us into this, you know, this really nice neighborhood. But the thing is, is that, you know, you don't move from a neighborhood like that and change overnight. So I was still very, very rough around the edges. And, you know, I was a very, I was a handful as a kid, you know, um, and so, you know, so when I moved into that neighborhood, you know, you know, it didn't take long for people to realize, oh, you know, you know, I don't want to say I was a thug so much, but I was just a very, you know, um, curious kid. And I just got into a lot of stuff and, you know, I was very creative, you know, in the things that I got into and anybody who hung around with me, you know, always wound up having a lot of fun. But it was always, you know, fun. It was always a little on the edge. But anyway, his mom, long story short, I think I might have been maybe 13 or 14, and I pulled up in, in front of his house, you know, after meeting him and after we wound up hanging out, pulled up to his house in a brand-new Cadillac, you know, and, you know, thinking... You pulled up to his house in a Cadillac? Brand-new Cadillac, white on white, you know, honked the horn. You were driving it? Yeah, you were thirteen or fourteen driving a kid. Well, yeah, you can put, you can connect those dots. It wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. It was just, it was a whole thing that I had. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But okay. So anyway, but I, you know, I'm thinking I honk the horn. I'm thinking he's gonna run out, and I'm gonna take him for you know a little joy ride because you know, cars like that you could only you only had two days, and then pretty much <laughs> time's up. <laughs> it's all bets are off. But you know, I had an open window, so I was like, look, you know, you know. You should come out. You know, I was, you know, honked, and I thought he was going to... His mom came out, and his mom was like, same thing, you know, what are you doing in that car? Whose car is that? And I'm like, and I didn't expect that. And I'm like, uh-oh. And so I was thinking I got to make up a real quick lie, and I was like, it's my uncle's car. He let me drive it, you know. You ain't got no license, and what uncle? And I'm like, uh, my Uncle Tommy, because my Uncle Tommy always had Cadillacs. You know, he, I think he worked at a Cadillac dealership. So I was a quick, I thought that was a good one, you know. She knew my uncle. She's like, he would never let you drive his car, <laughs> you know. And so that didn't work, so I was like, she said, get away from me, go leave, you know. So I had to slink, you know, and so, yeah. And then she forbid him to, you know, hang out with me, as did, you know, everybody else's, <laughs> especially after that. Well, yeah. it's sort of amazing that we get from, from that to Prince living in your home 
for his teenage years. Let's, exactly. Let's work to how he got to that. Well, I think you, that was the catalyst. <laughs> well, but do you know, I mean, for, Prince's parents broke up, right. they divorced, and he went to live with his father. And not, well, there was, yeah, there was No, stuff. please t- tell me. Well, there's, 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 well, there's stuff that happened in between that, because before he went to live with his father, he came to live with us, and he didn't really live with his father. He went and, you know, would stay at his father's every now and again, but, you know, it was like, I think the freedom thing, you know, because once you, you know, I mean, <laughs> um, he ran away and came to stay with us, you know, when he was living with, he was living with his mother. His how mother married. Was, how old was that? 14, 13, something like that, right around there, same, same time. It was maybe the week of the car thing. You know? He ran away from his mother's home. Yeah. Did she, was she single? Did she have her new No, husband? she was married, yeah. She her had a new Haywood, husband. Yeah. yeah, Haywood and Omar and Taika, they all live together. Okay. So, I mean, and, you know, and I think, you know, I don't want to really speculate because I wasn't there, I didn't see, I just know that he would come and he would tell me different things about this and that. And then plus what I would see, you know, just with their interactions, you know, it was an interesting, you know, like some stepfathers can be really, really cool. Sure. And some stepfathers, maybe not so much. Um, and some somewhere in between, you know, and it's hard for me to really speculate on where he was at. I just know that he was making him do a lot of stuff. You know, I don't want to call him Cinderfella or anything like that, you know, but, you know. But, th- but this is what Prince told you. His feeling was that he was getting... No, he didn't tell me that. It's, okay. it's, it's no, it, I just from the conversations that he would have and the things that he would say about, you know, the situation. You know, but anyway, long story short, he just, he was like, you know, whatever was going on there, he just came in and said, you know, can I stay with you guys for a while? And I was like, it's fine with me, you gotta talk to my mom. And you know, he talked to my mom and my mom said, it's cool, but I'm gonna have to talk to your mom. Of course. And so she talked to his mom and his mom said it was cool. You know, he stayed there, a week turned into a month, month turned into a year, and before you knew it was, I think, four or five years, five or six, something like that. Okay, so, and you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that's why I'm here, the, the story is always that, lived with his father, left or got kicked out, went to his mom's house. That might be, maybe, no. I don't, yeah, because he was, that, no. I don't say no yeah. live with his father at all. No, he lived with his father. His father lived, lived not far from, you know, from where his mother lived. Um, and he would go there and he'd stay every now and again. But like I said, you know, I mean, I, like I tried to live with my dad, you know, love my dad. But Hard. the freedom issue, because you couldn't use the phone, couldn't play certain kinds of music, you know, because his father was very religious. So it was like, you know, it, it was a price. And, and if, you, if you had a choice... You know, which he did. You know, if you had a choice to stay with your mom, your dad, or over at our house, he chose staying at our house. Which is a choice of freedom. Yeah. I mean, you know, I want to move on from this, but but one of the core things that a lot of people, Alan Leeds and other people have said, um, was that he felt abandoned by his mother in this moment. That she did not give him the attention and the loyalty that he deserved. And he left, and he was always sort of bitter and couldn't trust anybody else because he felt like he couldn't trust his mom, you know. And the whole when doves cry thing, you know, why did you leave me standing in a world so cold? Why did you abandon me? Right. So is that accurate to your understanding? You know, it, it's hard. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to dispel any, you know, mythical, you know, anything. So I really don't know. So, I, I, you know, because I wasn't there. And if he said that to Alan Lees and if he told him that, then that's probably what he felt. I just know what I lived through, 
I just know what I experienced because a lot of the situations that I can speak about, there was only he and I. You know, there was not, there wasn't, there was no, you know, I, you know, Alan Leeds certainly was not there. Sure. You know, and I know that, you know, I just know what I saw. <laughs> so when he's there. living in your home, you know, he's 13, 14, mm -hmm. right? He's living in the basement, right? Yeah. Well, and, it, yeah, eventually. Yeah. I mean, because at first, when he first came in, we stayed in the same room. Yeah. And, you know, and that just didn't work out because he and I were, were, were pretty much opposites when it comes to that. He's a, a neat person. I'm reckless and not neat. And I'm doing, I'm coming in and I'm doing a lot of different teenage things. Well, give us a general portrait of what he was like at that. He's 13, 14 years old. Like, you know, he was, he was neat. Was he shy? Was he already a good player? Like, definitely already a good player. Um, definitely shy. Um, but not, you know, you know, not really. I mean, shy, I guess, you know, around other people. But, you know, I mean, you can't really be that shy around somebody like me because I'm just not, you know, I just, it's just that that's boring, you know, and it's not that, you know, I'm just not that kind of personality. It's like, dude, you know, because I'm like, we got to do this. We got to do that. Come on, man. We, let's do this. You know, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not that laid back. And so I couldn't, you know, somebody being this anchor that was just sitting around being, you know, slugged wouldn't be so good, you know, and then you die. I definitely wouldn't want to hang around with anybody like that. So, you know, so no, I mean, so shy to other people. Yeah. Shy to me. No, we, no. we, we, you know, and in our vibe, it was like in the room, you know, it was really a beautiful thing. Cause you know, I, the interesting thing is I always went to, uh, went to bed with music, playing music. He always went to bed playing music, which was really kind of cool. I was like, Oh, that's great. And so we would have to really go back and forth about what music we were going to listen to. To go to bed, you know, it's like, is it going to be Seals and Crofts? Is it going to be The Natural Four? Is it going to be Parliament Funkadelic? Or is it going to be C uh, um, Joni Mitchell or whatever? You know, I mean, different, you know, we just go back and forth. So it was that reality. But, you know, I mean, to, to, to your point about the, um, the mom thing and all that, you know, I do think, you know, if, if there were anything that I could, you know, connect that with, is I think, you know, when you think about, you know, the stepfather aspect, and maybe, you know, her making a choice. Because I think, you know, because I went through that a little bit myself, because, you know, my mom and my dad split up. And, you know, when he came to live with us, I was going through that very same thing. It was just very different. Because that's a very transformative yep. age that you're going through, you know, when you're going, you know, you know, first girlfriends, first relationships, first almost everything are all happening right at that point. You know, and it's really kind of an interesting thing to, you know, parachute into somebody else's home, especially our home, because everybody that was in, <laughs> that was in our house, all my, my siblings, were all at a crossroads. I mean. What number are you in your family? The youngest. You're the youngest yeah. of six? Yeah. So one of the things that I was thinking about from afar was that if, if, if there's five or six people living in the house mm -hmm. at, the at that time, um, and he becomes, you know, the fifth or the sixth, right, or the seventh, right? And your mother was divorced, right? So she had a lot on her plate. And she was getting a, an advanced social work degree at that time, right? Mm -hmm. So your mother has a lot that she's got going on. Absolutely. So how did she, did she have a lot of time to, like, watch after him and take care of him or was he kind of like able to do whatever he wanted to able do? Able to do whatever. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. I mean, you know, we were all able to do 
what we wanted to do. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it's, I mean, it was part of what was, what, you know, and that's why when I hear stuff and I hear people talk about some of this stuff, it, it's, it's hard for me. I mean, you know, I, normally I wouldn't say anything. When Prince was, you know, was here, I'd let him say his own, you know, I just never really spoke about it because it wasn't, but the one reason why I do, and I have just as of late, is because people have been rewriting history and it's just been, it's starting to get to be, it's, it's, it's slightly annoying because it's like, that is so wrong. So what is the truth that is not being told? Well, it's what we're talking about right now. Okay. Yeah, some of this stuff is, is you know, and it's really not, it's just people growing up. I mean, you know, because, you know, whenever you get people, you know, whether it's Prince, myself, and, and my siblings, and you get that sort of, you know, I, I hate to put it in this context, but like a perfect storm of dysfunction. Mm. Magic happens, mm -hmm. you know, one way or the other. And when you have people that are talented and people that are coming from different areas of, of, of I guess, growth, you know, because that's what was going on. Everybody was growing. My brother just came from Vietnam, that whole thing. My other brother just got out of prison. My sister just came from, you know, Europe studying fashion. You know, um, my mom had just gotten divorced. And everybody was in this house together. When Prince speaks of your mom in interviews uh, and in The Sacrifice of Victor, it is incredibly loving mm -hmm. and incredibly respectful. Um, talk about their relationship because he loved her like the mother that he, he didn't get the love that he wanted yeah. from Maddie, but he loved your mother, Bernadette, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, very deeply. Yeah, no, I mean, she was, you know, first of all, anybody who knew my mom and anybody who met my mom and, you know, and came into contact with my mom, if my mom even met you, you, you you'd want to move in and, and, and she'd be like, you know, and anything you wanted to do, she'd make you feel like, you know, not only could you do it, but you could be the best at it, you know, because that's who she, that's how she was. And, you know, and he was going through what he was going through. I mean, you know, I think everybody goes through, you know, especially at that, you know, it's an awkward phase, you know, I mean, you know, he's, a, you know, you have acne, pimples, <laughs> you know, you know, and, you know, interesting things like that, that you're going through. And, you know, um, at the time, both he and I were the same height. And okay. then I had a growth spurt. And so he was going through different things. You know, everybody goes through this, you know, this different stuff. You know, we're trying to figure out what we're doing as a band, you know, um, you know, musically. And, you know, we had a couple of janky managers, you know, it's just a lot of different things. And my mom was, was our anchor. You know, she was all of our anchors. And in some ways, I think, you know, um, if I'm going to be really honest, there were times that I thought she actually, you know, kind of, um, you know, looked out for him in some ways. And I felt a little bit like, you know, slighted, wow. you know, because she was like, you know. But then I understood and she pulled me aside. She said, look, you know what, you know, he's going through what he's going through. And, you know, you, you know, we're all here together. And she really made me understand and made me really comfortable with it. And, you know, and, made, you know, I think she made all of us really comfortable. And so she was in. And I think the other thing was she was not just his biggest fan, but she was our biggest fan, you know, I mean, as a band and made us feel, yeah, made us feel like we could do this, you know, because I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, I mean, because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I get it, you know, every, you know, he went on and became really, really successful, but. In the, in the interim, and when we were just coming up, we were all having issues, you know? Sure. And as a band, we were trying to, you know, I mean, it's, you know, in Minneapolis and struggling and trying to figure out how to do this thing, you know, um, 
you know, there weren't a whole lot of people giving us guidance. And her voice of reason and voice of wisdom and, you know, just sort of foundation and letting us do our thing, just letting us grow, just giving us the freedom to do our thing, you know, um, was really, really invaluable. You know, and so when I say, you know, I think she was his first big fan. You know, it's funny because, you know, when I, when I think back on it, you know, it was like, you know, because we had this thing about, you know, we'd go back and forth and we'd write songs, he'd write songs, I'd write songs, we'd play them. You know, sometimes we'd meet in the kitchen and we'd play different things and my mom would be in there and she would, you know, say, oh, that's great, I like that, I like that, and, you know. But, you know, it's just, you know, obviously she's not going to be a fan so much of her son, you know, because she's already a fan of mine, you know, she's my mom, you know. But, you know, it was just the loving and the, and the, and the um, tenderness, the caring that she really bestowed, that sort of, you know, gave to him just really special attention that I thought was really, you know, just on the outside looking in. I thought that's really cool. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. 
This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. This year for Father's Day, why not get Dad something he would really want to wear? Not another tie. Saks underwear. It's what I wear every day. Super comfortable. Dad's going to love it. It's designed with the male anatomy in mind to help us be comfortable no matter what we're doing. Everything stays put. No friction. No problems. I've been wearing Saks underwear for months straight. I mean, I changed the actual underwear every day, but I've been wearing different pairs of Saks underwear every day for months. Fantastic underwear. Best underwear I've ever had. Super stylish. Looks cool. Feels great. Look, here's the offer for Father's Day, right? Get Dad's Saks underwear. Order a few pairs now, you get this deal. $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. Use the promo code TORE at checkout. Get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. Go to SaksUnderwear.com. That's Saks with two X's. S-A-X-X-Underwear.com. Use the promo code TORE at checkout. Remember, SaksUnderwear.com. Promo code TORE. And I definitely change every day. I promise. So Grand Central Mm -hmm. was his first band. You guys were in this together. Um, Was Morris Day on drums at the beginning or did that come over time? No. It was, uh, and it was our first band. So let's just, you know. Of course. Because, yeah, it was you said his first band. It was our, you know, as a group, because we came together and said, let's start a band. Okay. And so... um, And he was guitar, you were... I was a horn section, originally. Yeah. Um, And then I became... (laughs) through some of those shenanigans that, you know. Um, but I became bass player, um, you know, later. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're gone. Yeah, so, you know, so anyway, you know, I became bass player. So it became his cousin, um, him, myself. And then I said, you know, I have a sister that can play keyboards. And so that became the band. That became Charles Rexford. Smith yeah. was the other one, his he was cousin. The, Charles Smith is, Prince, is Prince's cousin. He became our, he was our original drummer. That was our original band. Just Charles. Actually, originally, it was actually other dudes. Because at first we said, look, when we first said, let's put together a band. And I think when we did our first, let me think about this for a second. Because I think when we did our first couple of talent shows, you know, we had this guy named Jerome Dunham was playing guitar. Because at the time, when you start a band, it's like you start a band with whoever has equipment. Sure. You know, because, you know, I mean. Especially as a teenager. Yeah. Because it wasn't like we could just run out and get, you know. And so, um. So originally it was this guy named Jerome Dunham because he had, you know, a really cool outfit and he had a great guitar. And, uh, um, and then uh, this kid named Lynn Perry because he had a bass and an amp, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, um, I think Michael Shaw might have been related to Prince, but he played horns and he was supposed to be one of the horns, but he never came to any practices. And so I wanted, that's why when I said I was the horn section, because I played trumpet, saxophone, trombone, tuba, you know, I played all that stuff. But I also played bass, because my dad was a bass player, and that's actually was my main thing. I just didn't have a bass. And I couldn't get anybody to, you know, I couldn't get my parents, because we were broke, so I couldn't get them to buy me a bass, and, you know. And at the time, Prince really didn't play guitar much. He played keyboards, but he could get his dad to let him use his guitar. And so I was actually able to, um, I actually got the first guitar, um, that we kind of shared because it was, a, you know, I mean, again, you know, I mean, I, you know, um, not to get too much off into my whole thing, but, you know, 
I was a hustler. So I was able to, you know, hustle up this guitar. I got this. I, in fact, I still have it. Oh, wow. It's a Vox. It's the first, you know, guitar I ever played for, you know, any of our talent shows. But it was a Vox Phantom 5, and, you know, I bought it from this guy named Richard Briscoe back in the day for, like, 60 bucks or something like that. You know, so. But anyway, so, yeah. So that was it. And then, um, So how did Morris Day come into the group? Morris was interesting because um, Morris used to follow us around. We started, you know, a lot happened before that because you know, we, were, we were starting to build and people starting to get to know who we were and we were starting to become sort of popular. And, 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 and the sound starting to be good? The sound was good, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot that happened in between that, but, you know, anyway, just skipping to the chase. Um, we started to build a little following. The sound started to get good. Um, I actually finally got a bass, and I became the bass player. And I'm sorry, were you playing original songs or you playing covers? Covers mostly, but we would always slip in, you know, a couple of originals, because I always wrote. I mean, Prince always wrote, so we were definitely, you know, trying to always slip in originals. Um, not very many. In fact, I actually came across, you know, a cassette, you know, just like literally like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Of um, our band doing a set, a whole Grand Central. It's like... A set. <laughs> it's like the whole thing is there. And interestingly enough, on that cassette is, I think, the first song Prince ever wrote. You know, and the, was it I think it's called Whenever. Whenever? Yeah. Wow. And, um, Do you remember how, what it, how it went or what the, how the Yeah, the recording. <laughs> yeah, it's all there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's a little, you know, I mean, because it's on cassette and it's from. What was the chorus? Oh, you mean like that? Yeah. You know? Uh, that now you're asking the tough questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's, okay, it's okay. Yeah, it's very you know it's very it was mellow and it's something like that. Um, but it's very you know melodic. Very anyway, you know I have to play it to you. I mean, you're better to play it than to try to you know sure. figure it out. But yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. And we were doing all the different covers. We did you know slippery when it's wet. We did. Um, can You Handle It by Larry Graham, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Once You Get Started, which was one of Prince's main things, you know. Um, yeah, um, we did uh, um, Wildfire, wild, wild, Wildflower, Let It Fly, Cause She's a Lady, Cause She's a Child, that song. So, yeah, we did that, you know. Did you have a sense that that guy's really good? Like, like, you know, you're like, I'm doing my thing. But, or was it like, you know, well, he's good. Or was it like, he's really good. You know, at, honestly, this, at this stage. I, I never thought about it like that. You know, I mean, because, you know, we were, we came up at the same time, you know. And I think we both looked at each other like, we're really good. Because my whole thing was a group, you know. I mean, it was, we were a group, you know, we were a band. And my whole thing was, as a band, we are kicking everybody's ass. And, you know, you talk about Morris, because Morris would come and you ask about how he got in the group. And, um, but to answer your question, yeah, I always, I always thought he was really good, you know. Um, and I'm not trying to toot anybody's, my own horn or anybody's horn, but I always thought we were always really good, yeah. you know. And I didn't really think about him being any better than Charles on drums or me on bass or anything, it was, or my sister on keys. I just thought collectively we were a really good band. You know, um, and I always thought that we had a ways to go, but I was very, very hard on, you know, all of us. You know, I was hard on him. I was hard on my sister. I was hard on, on, on Charles. What were you hard on him, on Prince, about? About us being, you know, the best. I was like, we got to be the best. We can't. I don't, I'm just not, you know, because 
I was a hustler and I was making, you know, I was making a nice little chunk of money hustling. I was like, if we're gonna do this band thing, we gotta be serious. Cause I'm not interested in being broke. You know, so, you know, cause coming from where I came from, you know, I mean, it's, it's too easy to wind up, you know, in a, in a, in a crazy set of circumstances. Yeah. So I'm like, but I saw an opportunity in being in a band where we could actually make some noise. Cause there was other bands around. I saw what they were doing, you know, um, the family and, and uh, you know, um, Purple Haze and, you know, Sweet Tastes. And there were some other groups that, you know, I would see. And I was always like, you know, I was, I was in the streets, you know, so I was always seeing what was going on on the ground level. And so I would see what was happening and say, I could see us slipping in there. I could see how we could make this thing happen. And then, I, you know, my cousin was uh, in a band called Mid, um, uh, Midwest Express. He was in some other bands too, but he was unbelievable drummer. But so I had him, he was in uh, Maurice McKinnis and the Blazers who actually had a, rec a record. And so that's kind of was my window into how we could make this thing happen. So I guess I didn't look at it so much as, oh, this guy is amazing, he's great, and I'm gonna ride his coattails. No. It was never, ever, ever a thing like that. Um, and then to get back to Morris, Morris would come to our gigs and he would always say, hey man, I can play drums, you know, because people would always come to me because people knew, you know, if you grew up in Minneapolis, <laughs> you knew Andre. <laughs> and Grand Central was like, you know, you need to talk to Andre, Andre is blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, yeah, we got a drummer, you know, but I'm really good, you know, and I'm like, yeah, well, our drummer's good too, you know, but I'm really good. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, I heard you. You know, and he would come to another gig. Yeah, man, you got to hear me play. You know, I'm like, look, we got a drummer, man. You know, it's all good. And he would, you know, he was very persistent. And then when I went from, um, I graduated from ninth grade to 10th grade, I went to, from Lincoln High to North High, you know, which is, you know, exposed me to, you know, older people, new set of situations <laughs> and a new, you know, and a new interesting perspective. But anyway, um, so, um, so uh, Morris came, he saw me in the hallway. He's like, Andre, he came running up. Hey, you gotta hear me play drums. I'm like, dude, you know, we got a drummer. He's like, but you gotta hear me play. And he was like, come, let's just go in the band room. I was like, all right, cool. So we go in the band room and, um, and you know, he's, there's a drum set and you know, he starts playing, you know. But there's, the drums are set up on a riser and there's no carpet, you know. And it's like, the riser's like, you know, maybe four piers high, tiers high. And so he starts playing and he's like kicking, but then the drums are slipping. He's trying to pull them back and he's trying to play. And then eventually the drums start falling off the risers. And I'm like, I'm getting out of it because they always blame the project, you know, Negro, right? Right, 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 right. So I'm like, so I'm like, you know, because they're always going to blame. I mean, was, every time something happened, it was like, he did it. So I was like, I'm getting out of here. So he's like, so he runs. He's like, you got to come over to my crib. You got to hear me play. I was like, dude, I don't go over to dudes' cribs, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, I just don't write. It's like, no, no, you gotta come by, blah, 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 blah. So, um, so I'm like, all right, cool. So we walk over to his house and he introduces, introduces me to his mother. And his mother is gorgeous and I completely fall in love. I mean, completely fall in love. I mean, With she's Morris like, Day's mother. Yeah, she's like Pam Greer. I mean, she's Pam Greer fine. And I'm like, I was just like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. And, but, you know, but. Anyway, we go upstairs, Boris has his drum set up, and he has, he has this amplifier, which was like this bizarre amp. Like, it was like, you know, I don't even know what kind of amp it was. It, I don't think it had any, you know, it was just wood with a couple of big speakers. And he put on, what is hit, Tower of Power, and played it lick for lick. And I was like, and then he played something else. And he was left-handed, and he was like, I said, you're in. 
<laughs> I said, let me go talk to the other guys. I said, but, you know, if you can get your drums, bring them down. You know, um, and I told him where, you know, we were practicing at uh, Terry Jackson's um, in his basement, which was right next door um, to my house. So he brought his drums and he came down. I had told Prince, you know, I said, man, you got to check this dude out. And he's like, you know, this is our new, this, this needs to be our new drummer. And so we wound up jamming. It's like, sure enough, he was in. So that's how Morris became. Um, you know, because you're talking about eight, Prince at age 15. Somewhere about, around, yeah. Right? And by, I mean, folks have talked, like Dez Dickerson talk about, like, about 16, 17, he's, the work ethic is First pretty- of all, Dez couldn't know because Dez wasn't there. <laughs> so Dez wouldn't know about 16 or 17. Well, he could the- speculate. Maybe Prince told him stories, so. You know. Well, the, the, the thing that, well, yeah, he meets him a little after that, right? No. What are you saying? Well, I'm saying that that's wrong. <laughs> he meets him way later because, you know, we auditioned Des to be in the band. Right. You know, that was like, you know, after the record was, I think that was actually after the second record was really? done. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that I'm trying to get at, he said that the name was in the air. What name? In Prince's name in Minneapolis. Like, people knew who he was. Like, this new Stevie Wonder is coming up. Like, is that, you're like, you're like furring your brow, like, that's not a thing. No, I don't remember it being like that. Yeah. Okay. I don't, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, look, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dispel any myths. If, if, no, no, if, I want if, you to tell if people, me. If people thought that, I, I, I no, never. You were there. Well, I just know I never heard that. Okay. You know, because the whole, even the whole Stevie, I mean, the whole. You know, I was there. You know, I mean, I saw when this, when the, you know, I know how everything happened. Right. Right, right, right. I was literally, I saw this man almost every morning and every night. Right. For maybe six years, maybe more than that, really, when so I think about it. So how did he go so, from young guy who had some desire to, I mean, by 17, right, the labels are already like, yo, this kid is a monster, Right. <laughs> You're laughing. Well, no, no, only because it just didn't happen that way. I mean, you know, I'm sure the labels were this kid was a monster, but it wasn't by 17. I mean, you know, nobody knew who we were at 17, you know, because, you, know, you know, things didn't happen that well, you way. You got signed at 18, right? Somewhere around there. I think, I think it was somewhere around <laughs> oh, there. You, oh, oh, oh. They were futzing with their ages, there which could is why be, the history is... It's could be, messed up. It could be a little, yeah. Because they, they kept aging him down. Could be a label. little. Little of that could have been happening. Um, um, but I just know, I just know what I was well, there. The, so the, I, the, I just, the, it's hard for me to really. The question really is, how did he get from just another 13, 14 year old who wanted to be in music to somebody who, within a period of like four years, of somebody who was monstrous, right? I mean. Well, let, let me, let me put it like this. Okay. You have a band. Grand Central became a very, very known band, period. Just band. It wasn't, you know, I mean, he was within that band. He was definitely respected, well-respected, as all of us were, because we were Grand Central, you know, and we, you know, had a reputation. You know, we had a battle of the bands. I mean, one of the biggest battle of bands that we had that exploded, you know, us was we went to do a gig. Um, It was the first time we won a battle of bands. We did a gig at at, um, at North uh, North High, the Old North, and it was like the biggest battle of the bands. And we entered it. And it was just me, Prince, and Charles. I don't even think I don't think my sister was playing. We were just a three piece. Um, and you know, it's funny because he had this guitar that we had, me and Charles had bought for him. It was the first guitar that he had that was 
you know, not his dad's guitar. You know, it was a little silver tone, a little small scale. But we did, uh, you know, we did, you know, because they weren't going to let us play in it because we had, we didn't have any equipment, you know. And we didn't have like, you know, we had these little cheesy amps and, you know, our drummer had drums that didn't have, you know, heads on both sides. And it was really, and they were like, oh, you can't be in. We can't, we're not going to let you guys, you guys aren't ready yet. So, I mean, so, I mean, the whole thing of he was this, you know, person then, you know, no. you know, no. and so, but I was able because, you know, I'm, I'm the mouth. I talked to the other band. I said, listen, you know, I said, we, we don't, we're young and we don't have you know, we need, you know, can we play? You guys have big amps. You guys will just, you're not, we won't hurt anything. Just let us play a little. We, we, won't, we won't bother you anymore. And we just, you know, and they said, oh, yeah, okay, fine. It was like, oh, thanks. They said, it's cool. <laughs> and so and it's funny because, you know, Prince used always teased me about this because when I plugged into his amp, because I had never played in, in an amp like that big, and it was like unbelievable. So I was like, boom. It was like, I was like, Ben, it's only on three. <laughs> and he's like, and he teased me about that literally for about two or three years, nonstop. Wouldn't let me live that down. But we went on and we kicked. Every, I mean, and the thing about it was, there was it was some version of um, I forget what the name of that band was because it was like one of the biggest bands, you know, in the city at the time. This was like, you know, this was like a big deal because they were like, you know, there was them, there was. Um, one of the biggest Latin bands that were like, you know, popular in, in the city. There was another rock band that was popular in the city. It was all these bands that were really at the top of their game. And we won. I mean, in, in fact, when we first went on, people started leaving. People literally, you know, as soon as we came, went on. Because you guys looked too young? Yeah, we were literally, you know, we were like, you know, we'd, I How guess, old are you we guys at this 15 point? maybe, 14, 15, something like that, you know. And we went on and people started leaving. And because I, I think we started with either a Hendrix song or we might have maybe played Fire or something like that. Or um, well, I know we did Billy Preston, Out of Space. But anyway, whatever we, we, we did, and I'm sure we probably did some slide, but, you know, people started coming back. And before you knew it, everybody was back. And before you knew it, we had them. Because, you know, once, once we get them, we got them. And then we was doing our things and, you know, we just, you know, because we always had an interesting little interaction. So, you know, we were always, uh, stage presence was a big, was a big deal. So, and it just, yeah, we wound up, you know, we won and then they let the winner play extra songs. So we wound up doing, um, uh, you know, a spinner song and, you know, a couple other things. And yeah, so, um, yeah, and then, you know, and you won and, and, and getting to how we became, you know, they didn't pay you very much money. They get, I think we won $75, you know, which is also how I think, you know, Charles became, you know, you know, an interesting part of, you know, st be, still being in the band for me because we won $75 and studio time. I think at, um, I forget what the name of the studio was, but in fact, I still have the reel for, <laughs> we won studio time. So we got to record, I think three or four songs or something like that. Charles was our manager. So he was our leader, I guess. I wouldn't say manager. We didn't even know that. We didn't know how the whole thing broke down, just how technically managers and all that kind of stuff. So he was just our leader, you know, our fearless leader kind of. And we would crack jokes about that because he was the oldest. So he was in charge of the money. And so he took the money and said, well, I'll, I'll keep the money. And, you know, and so every day I was like, man, where's the money at? Because I'm, I'm the hustler, right? I want to make sure I want to see it. He's like, I got it. You know, and it got really kind of, 
you know, kind of a thing, you know. And I was like, well, I want to just see it because, you know, he was coming to, coming to rehearsal with new gear, talking about these posters and this new Hendrix album. And I'm like, and we broke. And I'm like, as far as I know, you broke too. <laughs> so the only thing I know is you got $75 and, you know, where is it? You know, because, you know, I got, you know, because I was also our, the band um, Tech, you know, so every time an app would go out, you know, I had a sort of electro, electronic, you know, my dad was an engineer, so he taught, taught me about electronics, so I knew how to fix stuff and all that, so I would make speakers work. And so, um, so, you know, I had, my amp was, you know, I almost electrocuted myself because I had to wire my amp because my cord was broke. So I had to, you know, I had to wire the wire on the inside to the, to the, because the, the thing that you hook it on was broken. So I had to wire it on the inside of the amplifier. So, you know, so I'm thinking, if we got money, maybe we need, maybe it's time to buy me an amplifier. So, and that's what I was trying to propose, and he could never come up with the money. So we got into an argument and, you know, eventually got into a little tussle. And so it was like, uh, and so I'm thinking, that's when I was thinking, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's right around the time when I ran into Morris that, at the, at the uh, school. And that whole uh, thing, yeah. So that made it easier to... Yeah, yeah. So, so. But, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to get at just sort of how uh, Prince developed musically and personally to go from the shy person who you met to somebody who was, you know. Well, think about it. I mean, I, I think I already told you in the, earlier in this conversation, it's like he parachuted into, you know, a crossroads of dysfunction, you know, with all the different characters and personalities in my family. You know, I mean, those are the people that made me kind of the kind of person that I am, you know. And after a while, you know, I mean, these are, you know, very dynamic, you know, people. I mean, without them, I, you know, it's hard for me to speculate because who knows, you know, but I know I wouldn't be the person that I am, you know, and that's just being straight up honest. And I can't imagine that, you know, if Prince would say or could say or whatever, you know, you can't be around my brother Sonny and not be influenced. You can't be around my brother Eddie. <laughs> And Eddie managed him for a while and not be influenced. You can't be around my sisters, especially my older sister, and not be influenced. You can't be around my mom, not be influenced. You can't be around the characters that came into our house. Boosters, people selling stuff, selling coats, selling stereo systems, selling albums, dropping albums by, knew we were in a band and would say, you guys need to play this. You know, we, it was, it's hard to even, you know, explain, you know, um, the reality quarter parties, you know, all that stuff would have, you know, would, would take place at our, you know, down our basement where he was staying. He'd have to come, you know, because my mom would throw parties and he'd come down there. He would have to come upstairs while we had a party and they'd be down there gambling. And, you know, I mean, you can't be in that environment and not be influenced. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. You Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus 
a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Toray for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. For some people, brushing your teeth is one of the best parts of the day. A part of the day that rejuvenates you and makes you feel fresh again for people like that you want to check out the toothbrush that made oprah's o-list was named one of time magazine's best inventions is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the american dental association was called the best electric toothbrush by gq and the tesla of toothbrushes by bloomberg what am I talking about? I'm talking about Quip, an electric toothbrush. It's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes, which packs just the right amount of vibrations to help you really clean your teeth. It's got a built-in timer that helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. It comes with new brush heads every three months for just $5. That's how much dentists say you should be changing up your brush heads. And look, there's 20,000 dentists that love this, Quip, hygienists, hundreds of thousands of happy brushes already. It starts at $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash This is like the best toothbrush ever if you like brushing your teeth you got to check this out when did you start to see the the work ethic the you know i'm gonna play guitar eight hours a day these sorts of things like when (laughs) well it you know i mean it was you know the same ethic that we had you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't, it ain't about me. But you were doing the same thing. I was absolutely, <laughs> I was, you know, and maybe even in some ways, even more so, you know, um, because I actually didn't, you know, I didn't get my axe right away, you know, and I always wanted, I mean, I was, when I was in, I don't know, fifth, sixth grade, I was always telling everybody, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a rock star. You'll see, you know, I was like, I was, I was already saying Michael Jackson ain't shit, even though he was amazing. You know, I would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up on stage with Michael Jackson. I'm going to show him how you do it. I was, like I said, I was Muhammad Ali at Junior Achievers back then. You know, I was very, very boisterous and, and was always, and I was always, you know, I was always, my, my thing was, and I would say this to Prince all the time, there's somebody in California or somewhere else who right now is practicing. While we're sitting here, you know, eating turkey dinner, you know, somebody over there is practicing. So we need to be practicing. We want to be, you know, the greatest. I said, you know, because and, and it was kind of Michael Jackson who I was talking about, I guess, subliminally. But I was always thinking, you know, if we want to be, if we want to make it, we got we to gotta be better. We got to be better than everybody else, which means we got to practice. And so, you know, and he was the same way. And, you know, it didn't take much swaying, you know. So, and like I said, you know, I'm like, 
if I'm gonna give up hustling, you know, because I had a whole thing. I, I was making some nice, some nice money. So I'm like, if I'm gonna give this up, we gotta be serious. Did he you know? help you with that, with the oh, hustling? No, no, no. Did he ever have a job? You know, I think he might have worked briefly, um, if I'm not mistaken, at that music. You know that picture? There's a picture of him outside of a mm -hmm. music, a big building that has these musical notes. It was mm -hmm. called Music. Schmidt Music. There you go. There you go. And I think he worked there briefly, you know, if Absolutely. I'm not mistaken. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I just know he worked there, yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know what? Now that, yeah, because, well, but I never really considered that, you know. <laughs> A real job, you know. Well, we, uh, you know, like again, my mom, she, she, she ran the YWCA, and she also ran the community center, which is North Commons Community Center. But through there, they had a program called uh, the Neighborhood Youth Corps, and you know, and they would during the summer, you know, um, you could, you could, you, you could, if you, you know, fit, or if you were, you know, you know, um, were able, or you qualified, or whatever, you get a summer job. You know, and it was, you know, you know, like one year I remember getting a summer job. I want to get kicked off it. But one year it was a summer job where we went out and we went to, they were um, trying to clean up a park, trying to make a park way out in, you know, Monticello or somewhere. And so we basically, you know, just clear an area and, you know, they were burying cars, which was odd. You know, okay. yeah, it was like all these cars buried halfway, you know, anyway, um, but we just wanted to ride mini bikes. Um, <laughs> Not really but, doing the job. But the, the next summer, he wound up getting a job. We wound up getting a job together, and we, uh, we got a job at the school, um, which was, um, I think it was called, it might have been called Hawthorne, maybe, something like that. But we were like, basically, um, you know, when the kids, you know, had, um, you know, they had, I guess, it wasn't really recess, but, you know, they would do whatever they did for summer school, and then they'd have, you know, time to go out and play. We were... The play, you know, me and Prince, which was weird, because you know at the time we were we were still you know we, we thought we were rock stars, right? So we were like we'd cover our gear, and my hair was always you know just you know he had already you know he had you know curly hair, naturally curly hair. My hair was not naturally curly, so I would have to press and curl it, and you know and you know all that that whole thing. So I'd have to go through a whole rigmarole. And then go see the kids. And then go hang out with these kids, and basically we would uh, you know we would basically do um, during the during this it was like I think an hour or something like that we would have we play um, uh, bombardment or basically dodgeball um, but we call it bombardment and yeah and, and you know they called him the whip and they called me the cannon so you and Prince played dodgeball with kids, with kids. for your job yeah <laughs> that's it yeah. and we would and they called him Jack, the whip they called him the well we named ourselves but you know, we named ourselves, he named himself the whip, I named myself the cannon. And we would just, you know, <laughs> these kids' heads were like our target. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, boom. But yeah, it was, it was, and, and we, you know, again, you know, um, it, it ended because it got racial, because one of the kids called me a jungle bunny or something like that. Well, let's talk about basketball. Mm -hmm. um, did you did you play? Did y'all play together? Absolutely. Yeah. So talk about him as a ball player, because a lot of people who never saw it are sort of surprised to nope. hear about it. And he was very serious about it. Oh, and he, he was good at it. Phenomenal. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, I mean, what kids that age don't play basketball? I right. mean, we we would any chance we got, we played basketball. There was a little uh, a little net, 
in the house next door that we'd have to, um, Benny Crushan, the Crushan's house, they live next door to us. They had a little hoop. We played, you know, whenever we take a break from practice, we would play there. And, you know, obviously at North Commons, we play. And, you know, we played a lot. And then when Prince was over at Central, because I was, I wound up going over there a lot um, because, uh, you know, because that was, that was my partner. So we were like, you know, I would go over there and, you know, it was always a dicey situation because, you know, I would always have to, you know, borrow a ride to get over there. So, you know, but I would always go over there and, and, and we got this thing where we'd start playing. Um, it's funny because I just had a, I hadn't talked about this period of my life, literally, until just recently, because I just, I mean, I just, it ain't something like I sit around thinking about, but, you know, but just because I've been asked questions about stuff like this and, you know, I had to sort of go back and think. I remember because we used to do these two-on-two -two things with guys over south and, you know, because we were, you know, at the time we were both kind of short. And I would, you know, people would say, you want to run a game? You want to, you know, well, actually we'd have to ask because, you know, it wasn't like people were going to ask us like they thought, oh, these, are, these guys are going to run us a good game. You know, and I was like, you know, hey, you guys want to run a game? You know, it's like they'd look at us like, you know, no. come on. And then I'd say, oh, how about, okay, $2, $5. You guys win, we win, you know. And so I would actually get my hustle on. And uh, we would almost always win because you know, they would always think we wouldn't win, you know, and he was he could drive, you know, and he could shoot. And I was always good from the outside. And I was just a warrior because I would, you know, I mean, no matter what, I was getting back up and was like, I ain't done yet. <laughs> we ain't done yet. It be like, yeah, no, because we could play. So, I mean, you know, I love that. I mean, you know, look, he I mean, you both were driven, hmm. but. There's something unusual about this individual to be driven to just keep going, to go to that level. What was driving him? You know, some people talk about a sense of not feeling wanted or needed as a child, so he had to fill that by being a rock star. What was the, what was the thing that was driving him to want to be a rock star? Well... You know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I hate to. Do, I don't want to dispel any anybody's thing because everybody. You know, I mean, I. You know, because I hate. You know, I mean, but I think there's a couple ways of looking at it. Put it that way. Um, you know, because I think one of the things is, you know, the drive is that, that you can do it. The drive is that's your gift. The drive is, it's possible. It's within your grasp. You know, and you've done. You know, everything you need to do to put yourself in that position. You know, and if you've done all of that, it's like it was a journalist. If you've done your work, your due diligence, you know, and you, you know, they say, you know, success is where preparedness meets opportunity. You know, just be prepared when the opportunity comes. And he was, you know, he, we, you know, we exemplified that, that, that mentality, that mindset. So, you know, when, you know, when we got, you know, when we won, you know, the Battle of the Bands, you know, and it was Grand Central that won the Battle of the Bands, and we won a recording session, and we went in as a band to record, you know, um, and then Chris Moon came and he came to me as well. He said, hey, listen, you know, uh, you know, um, we have, a, a, you know, if you want, you can, you know, come and record, you know, and, and, you know, do some jingles. I do jingle things if you want to make some money on the side. And I'm like, you need to talk to my manager, you know, because I was always leery about people coming and approaching us, trying to get in. And, you know, and I thought that that's what he was doing. And so when we get back to the crib, Prince said, yeah, he dude came up to me. And I said, yeah, he came up to me, too. He's like, I said, are you going to do it? He said, yeah. And that's opportunity. I mean, I mean you keep talking about Grand Central rocking it, and they were great. And they became champagne, right, over time, yeah, right? came later, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, there, but then, I mean, 
the prince goes to become a solo star. Well, that just I just told you how that happened. <laughs> that, that going off with Chris Moon. Yeah, he, he recorded led, with Chris Moon. Who owned a studio, owned a studio. and wrote songs. Well, he wrote songs, owned a studio. He did jingles and stuff. I actually wound up doing some jingles with him after all, you know, anyway. But he wound up, Prince wound up doing a demo tape. And he did a demo tape that Chris Moon said, you know, he knew Owen. said, Owen, you got to hear this. Owen Husney, who's yeah. Prince's first manager. Yeah. So you got to hear this dude. Owen comes and he hears his demo tape. He's like, I can get you a deal. The rest is history. And it's really not much more complicated than that. Sure. And Owen was hooked up with, he, you know, he was Heilitzer, uh, which was a publishing company, K-Tail. He was already hooked in with them. He knew um, Cliff Warner, I think that's his name, was hooked up with, uh, I think he worked for Warner Brothers. So he had a connection directly to Warner Brothers. Took him, you know, said, hey, I got this kid. They brought him in. Had him play some stuff. Prince played him some, you know, some music, you know, um, showed that he could play all the different instruments, you know, and you know, they were like, signed him, you know. That's <laughs> how much did he get for that first deal? You know, I'm not completely sure. I want to say maybe three, three hundred, three hundred grand, three fifty, somewhere around there. Three hundred for three albums. I don't know. Just I think it was three. You know, I don't. I don't. I can only. I would be speculating. You know. I mean, I just remember that it was more money than I thought. You know. And then you know, um, yeah, it's more money than you know. You know than any of us had ever dreamed of having at that particular moment. As a teenager with women, do you do well? Not so well. Little both. Yeah. You know. I mean. Well, you have to understand. Okay. Okay. We're in a band. The band is popular, you know. The things are happening. Yeah, I mean, there was girls around. I mean, you know, I, you know, I always liked the idea of being part of a band, like a really. I always thought, you know, we were <clears throat> growing up. I thought, you know, I always thought of the Beatles and really great bands, and I thought that's what I wanted us to be, and that's the perspective that I would always take. And so when it became, you know, when he became like a solo thing, he wanted us to do like a Brothers Johnson thing because he thought I wasn't going to want to be in his band, you know. Um, and, you know, and I wasn't, you know, I was like, I had no interest in being in this band at all, you know, um, but he was like, man, you got to do this thing. I was like, dude, you know, this, you got signed to a solo deal. That's great. You know, I'm going to go do my thing, you know, and, you know, but then I thought, you know what? He was like, you know, he was going on. I said, you know what? Look, I said, I'll do this. You, you, you sign a three album deal. I'll, I'll be there for, you know, the three records that you do. And if you do tours, I'm, I'm totally got your back, whatever, you know. And that was it. That was it. You know, and after the three albums, I was gone. And you were with him for, for you, Prince, and Dirty Mind. Exactly. Um, God, what was that like? I mean, did he change once he became a professional recording artist? Yeah. How? Um, he just changed, you know? It's just, I, you know, I don't know if it's money. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's management, if it's attorneys, if it's responsibility. It's probably responsible because, you know, as, you know, I evolved and I wound up having to be in the same situation, it can change you if, if you're, you know, if you're malleable, it can change you. You know, I was a little less malleable. I'm in a little more grounded based on, you know, um, my family and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think, you know, him, you know, being in the position and understanding it and, and being, you know, I guess the first of the two of us to become, you know, a solo artist. You know, I think you realize that once you become a solo artist, the responsibility becomes on you. The onus is on you. Um, you know, your writers don't say, you know, um, the band suck. 
they say, you suck, you know. Um, and so it becomes, you know, you know, um, you know, um, it becomes your responsibility to make sure that the band don't suck, you know. And that's kind of where I had his back because I was kind of more or less the musical director. You know, I mean, my brother, you know, my brother Eddie, if you said that you wanted to be, you know, in journalism, he would come the next day with a stack of books about journalism and what, how to get in, what to do, and, you know, all the nuts and bolts, and, you know, that was his thing. When I was in music, and, you know, me and Prince, he would come and he would always drop business and music books, and, you know, and he would sit there and he would read passages, you know, whether you'd want to hear it or not. He'd read passages from some of these books. Like, yeah, you better, now you need to understand this, because, you know, you have to understand my brother again, you know, he, I think one of the things that when you go, you know, when you go, you know, to the clink, you know, you, you know, you come out and you learn, you know, you educate yourself, you read and you get knowledgeable about different things. So you never wind up hopefully in that situation again. And, you know, he definitely exemplified that, that mentality because he, you know. So your brother Eddie was really helping him think about the business of music. He's helping us. I mean, you know, um, and that's why I'm saying, you know, that's how I knew. And, you know, that's why I'm saying I don't know how much Prince actually knew from that standpoint. But, you know, Eddie became was Prince's manager for a while. So I know that Eddie probably told him the same thing because, you know, you know, he needed a manager because when he was breaking away and trying to do that stuff. And this is where Eddie was learning. And Eddie knew this stuff. And I think Prince said, well, maybe you should represent him. So were you making a little money from Grand Central? Well, <laughs> it was an interesting thing. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, you know, but. You know, we weren't really, you know, as, a, as, a, as individuals, we weren't, our money would all go into the corporation. Right. And so we'd have, we had really great equipment. But when we left, all we got was $300. That was it. When, we, when you... When we left the corporation, all we got was $300. So you didn't really get paid from being no. in grants. So I, I don't understand, how did he... Because I understand, you're hustling, so you're taking care of yourself. But how did he take care of himself these years when... Well, you know, I mean, he didn't have to pay rent, so, you know. Right. I mean, you know, his, you dad, his, dad gave him, his dad gave him allowance. His dad always gave him allowance. So, you know, he was lucky as far as that was concerned. You know, but... Some people talk yeah. about him, uh, that, that John played in a strip club and Prince would sometimes go there or and or play with him and that sort of helped shape the aesthetic or whatever. No. <laughs> no, is that... Uh, it was a place called the Copper Squirrel. The Copper um, Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> I love that name. Yeah. And we would go there, you know, because um, that's where he would get his allowance. We'd, we'd have to go, we'd catch the bus, go there, get his allowance, you know, and then we'd go do whatever we had to do, but yeah. So you I didn't, mean, y'all did not play there? No. But, no. You... but we did play. Um, I mean, you know, because we were underage, so, you know, when we would do gigs, um, we'd have to, you know, somebody's parents, either my mom or... Terry's mom or um, somebody else's mom that would... Terry Lewis. No, no, Terry Jackson. Terry Jackson. Yeah, he was in our band. Um, But yeah, somebody's mom would have to be there and then Morris's mom eventually became our manager so she was, you know, our liaison. But um, but yeah, you know, but it was at a, you know, strip club because it was, I remember we sitting there looking, you know, it was interesting, yeah. Uh, But yeah, that was that was an interesting gig because we were it was actually not even we weren't even the main. We were backing another group. We were backing a singing group, like a four guy singing group. And then we got to do a set in between when they would take a break. We'd get we get to do a couple songs and then, you know, and then they'd come back out and, you know, they do their whole thing. So um, what was the last time you talked to him? 
The last time I talked to him was we went to a um, uh, gig in Anaheim, right? Yeah. Directly? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we actually, you know, we talked quite a bit actually because, um, well, not quite a bit. I mean, you know, just, you know, because we came and it was the, the usual sort of, you know, security and this person and that person. But he called and wanted to talk to me and, you know, uh, he and I just sat in his dressing room, just he and I. And we chatted, and I was trying to get him to move to California because I said, you need to live in L.A. And I, I didn't understand how he could live in Minneapolis. And he's like, I don't know. I couldn't, you know, L.A. is too crazy and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, Minnesota's too cold. I don't know how you do it, man. But, we, you know, we were just kicking it and talking. He was really, you know, was, I mean, every time we would hook up, he was so cool and so sweet. And it made me realize that, you know, how much I really loved this brother. I mean, with every fiber, he was really, you know, it was, you know, it was really cool to have somebody like that at the time when I had it because you know, my, my older brothers were older and they were off into their thing and it was cool to have somebody that was into the same thing that I was into and you know, we were pushing each other and you know, it was a beautiful time and we had a beautiful, you know, a be you know the result was amazing. We all miss Prince and in the stories of people who really knew him, people like Andre Simone, He's kind of alive a little bit. When I learn things about him like I did in this episode, it's really exciting. I hope there's still a lot more to learn. Andre, thanks for your time, and thanks to you for listening. We'll have part two of our Prince celebration next Wednesday, when we have Susan Rogers, who was Prince's engineer during his zenith, that period from Purple Rain to Sign of the Times. She knows him on a musical level as well as anyone. It's an amazing conversation. This is Torre Show. We're here to give you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and I hope this show can help you with that. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps a lot. Talk about it on your socials. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Basil, with help from Shelby Royston, William Jolly, Candid Nicole, Cadence 13 Studios, and photographs from Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks, because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.